The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. I thank you for these last five years of ministry. God, to, to look out this morning and see what you have done is remarkable. Lord, I remember the first year of, of pastoring here thinking, there's no way this is going to work. And just to watch you and all your power and your sovereignty and your providence move and, and, and work in people and work in me has been remarkable. To see the leadership team that you've put together that's helped make all of this possible is just phenomenal. Lord, I'm just in awe of you. That you could use somebody as broken and imperfect as me to lead this beautiful congregation, Lord. It's, it blows my mind. Thank you, God, for this great privilege. And I thank you for the leadership team that you've put in position here. That as, we, as I step away, I know the church is in such great hands. I pray for, for Don. I just pray, oh God, that that you would give him wisdom and clarity and direction and as he just takes on this point person position. I thank you for his heart, for his integrity, for his love for the people of this church, his love for you. And I, I pray the same for Jessica and for, and for Pastor Ben. I, I pray, oh Lord, that you would just lead them and, and help them work as a team to minister the needs of these people. We just pray that while we're gone and, and always that there would be great unity amongst the people that you would protect the church, that you, your spirit would be here. We love you so much. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And so not only is Pastor Chris praying for us, but uh, we want to pray for him as he goes on the sabbatical. Uh, we, to be honest, we're glad that he gets a break. Um, if you see the, the innumerable hours that he puts in here, you'd be amazed that he has time for family or anything. To go on this sabbatical, and it's not, as he said, just a break, but it's a time of vision. And so, if, if you think about it, he is literally trying to hear from the Lord to find out what the next five years of his church is. And so, as you're praying every day, pray for. so honored and privileged that he is going to seek you for five weeks and we're excited to see what you're going to do through that and so father at this time and for the next five weeks we pray god that you would work in his life that you would remove even the the hint of burnout that you would give him grace as he seeks your face that you would give him vision for this church lord that we might move in the direction that you want us to yes. go. That those who don't know you might find you. That those of us who do know you
do um, just covet your prayers while while we're gone. And uh, and please, please, please come to church while we're gone. Don't think, well, pastor's out, we can just do whatever. We need you here. And we got great uh, speakers lined up. Pastor Ben will preach one week, and we've got four other or three other tremendous speakers. One guy's preaching twice. It's going to be awesome, so make sure you're here. Um, stand with me, if you would, for the, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. We're finishing up our uh, series on the book of 1 Peter today. We are 19 messages in, uh, five chapters, verse by verse. And I hope this, this has been encouraging to you. And um, So we're in today, 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. And uh, by the way, we don't know why these lights will not come on, but I don't like it because you guys are tired enough from VBS, so please don't sleep on me this morning, all right? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. The word, uh, I'm sorry, verse 5. The word of the Lord says this. <clears throat> Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Balsavanius, that is Silas, by the way, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, Exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, that would be the church in Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. We're going to do that after service, all right? Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord, and I pray that you receive it as such. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, many of you know that I, uh, I recently took up cycling as a form of exercise and kind of a hobby, it's, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, last year, as a matter of fact, I invested in a, a pretty nice bicycle, road bike, and uh, I invested in some other gear as well, really nice helmet, that's important, and some upgraded pedals and so on and so forth. But I, I made a vow with myself when I was buying all that equipment. I said, I will never, ever wear those tight-fitting cycle shorts. Come on, somebody. Like, no man in the world should wear those shorts. You know what they are? They're like cut-off yoga pants with a built-in diaper. That's exactly what they are. And so I said, not on your life will I be caught dead in those. So I didn't buy any. And so I start riding my bike, and all is well, and I'm going, you know, on five-mile rides, no issues. But when I got up to about 25 or 30 miles, I started having, uh, let's say, just issues, all right, from the saddle, all right? Let's just leave it there. And so I go into Mike's hiking bike just around the corner here, and I said, hey, Mike, tell me, I I'm having issues. 
how do I fix that? He said, well, Chris, there's one way to fix that. I said, well, what is it? Cycling shorts with the padding, <laughs> the built-in diaper, whatever, all right? And I said, well, well, what else? What else would help? He said, this other pair of cycling shorts, all right? So <laughs> bottom line is this. I had to buy cycling shorts. Now, I'm very self-conscious when I, when I wear these. I'm just telling you. So if we meet at Legacy Trail in Lexington and we ride, I keep a, a pair of ball shorts in my truck. All right, so because we always go out to eat or something afterwards, and so as soon as I'm done with that ride, brothers and sisters, I ride right to my truck and I throw on those shorts as quick as I can. So, true story yesterday, we have men's breakfast at nine o'clock, a prayer breakfast. I wanted to get a ride in because I knew after breakfast it would be probably 130 degrees, right? And so I, I didn't want to ride in the heat. I made that mistake last week. And so I said, I'm going to get a, a, a ride in in the cool of the morning. So I set off from my house. I live about three miles out, four-mile road, all right? And I, I, I'm riding in the country. Nobody's on the road. I'm loving it. Well, I get about seven miles maybe into my ride, and uh, I, I realized that I kind of skimped on breakfast because it was so early. I mean, I eat a small portion of something, but it wasn't enough to sustain my ride. So I think, I've got to get something to eat. Where, where in the world am I going to find something? Well, I happen to be right on a Union City, and is it Char Charlie Norris? Charlie Norris in Union City, the corner there. And it's just like the providence of the Lord, right? There's that little Mall and Paul gas station. I pull in the parking lot, and I realize I don't have my biking shorts, with, or my ball shorts with me. <laughs> but I'm hungry. I'm borderline hangry, right? So I got to get some food. So I, I, I'm like, well, it's early in the morning. I mean, it's real early. I said, nobody's going to be in there. I forget farmers get up early, right? And so here, here's the thing. So I, I, I pull in, and I, I get off my bike, put my bike, uh, lean it against the building, and I kind of peek my head in the door, and there's only one guy that I see, and he's at the counter not paying me any attention. So I kind of sneak by him, and I'm headed to the cooler, and I go around the corner. No joke. There's four or five farmers all these old men sitting around in their bed overalls, laughing and cutting up and eating breakfast together. And I have to walk right past them in my cute little shorts, all right? <laughs> all eyes are on me, all right? I'm just saying, I was, I was, I was kind of just, I, I was embarrassed. Let's just leave it there, all right? So I, I, go, to, uh, I go up to the counter, and I'm, I'm like hugging the counter, trying to cover my front side, all right? And then I realize... They're probably looking at my bum right now, right? Like, that, that, this is my padded bum, okay? Like, I just, I, 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 am, I, I just want to get out there as quickly as possible. Here's my point. Friends, I felt like a misfit, all right? If I was wearing those shorts in, in Colorado with, with all these health nuts, like, it, it would be fine. But in Union City, you don't wear biker cycling shorts. You just don't, all right? I was a misfit, all right? So today is our final installment of our verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of 1 Peter. Now, here's the tie-in. That wasn't just a random story. This epistle or letter, as you know, was written to first-century Christians who were scattered all throughout of northern Asia Minor, and they're living in these Roman provinces, all right? And they feel like misfits because... The culture around them is not a biblical culture. So as they're trying to serve the Lord and live according to biblical values, friends, they feel like misfits. And as a matter of fact, they're being persecuted because of their faith, because they're not engaging in some of the behaviors that the culture around them 
is engaging in. They feel like misfits. The Bible would call them exiles. They're feeling the tension of what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. And this is so relevant to where we're at today. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but our world is becoming more and more militant against Christianity, is it not? Like it is getting more and more difficult to live according to Christian values. If you, if you stand up for, for Christian values, if you walk, I mean, you don't have to hold up picket signs and show your beliefs, you know, uh, and all of that. You, if you just live for Jesus, you will be misunderstood. You will be deemed a bigot, uh, falsely deemed a bigot. You will be called a hater and all kinds of other names. It's not an easy life. And I know that we don't experience persecution like they do in other parts of the world. We don't experience it on that same level. But there is a measure of persecution that every single believer experiences. Now, here's some really good news. We've seen through the letter, this letter and through the whole New Testament, that the Christian life, that this is a difficult road, but that it is also, here's the good news, it is a Road of great joy. It is also a road of great joy. Here, here's what we see in First Peter. We've seen that the road of humiliation, the road of suffering, the road of being a misfit is actually the road that leads to exaltation where we will forever be with the Lord. And we see this promise one more time again in verse 10 of our text. Peter says, After you have suffered a little while, you who are misfits, though after you've suffered because of your faith, watch this, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ. That's the promise. That's what's awaiting us. It says He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Here's what I've found. Many people, many Christians, when hardship comes their way, they begin to doubt their salvation, doubt their faith. They think, well, I must not be living right because these bad things are happening to me. But do you know that the Bible teaches actually that when all hell seems to be against you, this can be a sign that you're doing actually something right? As a matter of fact, watch this. If you fit in in our culture... Like at work, if you don't ever feel like an outcast, when you're at Walmart, if you don't ever feel like an outcast, you've really got issues, right? Like if you don't ever feel different than, than anybody else in, in the secular world, you might want to check the genuineness of your faith. Because if you are truly following Christ, you will be a misfit and you will experience some level of persecution. We find a sweeping statement from the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. He says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, watch this, will be persecuted. So the question is, at work, at school, wherever you are, are you experiencing a level of persecution or do people just think you're just like them? They should never be surprised. This always gets me when, you know, they should never be surprised when they find out you're a Christian. Like, oh, you? Like, that should be a red flag to the authenticity of your faith. Now, in these final verses that we read today of this wonderful, wonderful book of the Bible... I simply want to do this. I want to point out five marks 
of being a misfit. I'm going to move through these very quickly. So Peter gives us five marks that will be evident in the lives of those who are, in fact, real followers of Jesus. Number one, the mark of submission. We've talked about this. It's been a reoccurring theme in the book of 1 Peter. Verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So voluntary submission is one of the big themes found in the book of 1 uh, 1 Peter. And and submission is not sexy in our culture, is it? It's not not considered a virtue. It's, It's not something people long for, but it's something that the Bible calls us to. In chapter 2, verse 13, Peter writes, Be subject or submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then he unpacks this. Submit, he says, to civil authorities. Your, for us, that would mean our, our, our federal, our state, our city government, our police officers, so on and so forth. Then he talks about submitting to even unjust employers or masters, he calls them. Then he talks about Christ's humble submission to the Father that culminated in the cross. In chapter 3, he addresses how husbands and wives should submit to one another. And then last week in chapter 5, I unpacked verses 1 through 4. And this section was addressed, remember, to pastors or what Peter calls elders, same thing, shepherds, overseers. And we learned last week that a pastor who is a shepherd of the church must submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd. Amen? One of the reasons we're taking sabbatical is to seek the Lord because I don't want to take the church in my direction. I want to take the church in the Lord's direction. Who's with me? So I have to, as an elder, and we all have to submit to our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Well, now in our text today, Peter addresses again, one more time, the subject of submission... And he says, those of you who are younger, if you can consider yourself younger, raise your hand. Okay, so you're only as old as you feel, so. (laughs) Be subject to the elders. Now again, elders is not talking about old people, all right? He's he's, he's saying that elders means pastors, uh, overseers, the leadership of the church, all right? So he could, when he talks about younger people here, he could mean those who are young in Christ. And that, I think we could argue for that. If you're young in Christ, submit to your, your elders, right, your pastors. But many scholars believe by the wording here that he is particularly addressing young men in general who tend to be a bit headstrong. How many have noticed that young men tend to be a bit headstrong, can be a bit arrogant? You're scared to raise your hand because we have a lot of young men in here, right? So we know from the scriptures, from other texts, that all believers should submit to the the pastors of the church, the leaders of the church. A beautiful verse in Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Do you know that I'm going to give an account for the way I disciple you and everybody else in this church? You know, one of the most frustrating things is to constantly get pushed. And I don't get this a lot here. So this is not a 
there's, there's no hidden meaning behind what I'm saying. I'm just saying I've, I've been in ministry a long time. One of the most frustrating things in ministry is to have people always bucking authority of the pastors because they don't think a, a rule or a priority should be that way in a church. Well, you're not the one who's accountable for the people of this church or whatever church you're in. So you need to submit to the, the authority. And it doesn't mean that pastors get to rule with an iron fist and they get to be dictators. We saw from last week. I, listen, I'm here. You know what I am as a pastor? I'm a servant. I'm here to serve you. Okay, I'm, I'm not this man who needs to be bowed down to. I'm not here to lord over you. No, I'm a servant. But I am responsible to lead you in the admonition of the Lord. Uh, in, in Hebrews, it goes on to say, let them do this. Let them lead you. With joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. All right? So, so print that verse out, put it on your fridge, and, uh, and I'm just joking. Kind of. Um, all right, here we go. So how do you submit to your elders or pastors? Um, you let them lead, simply. Soak in the preaching and the teaching and apply it to your life. There's nothing more frustrating to me than, than, you know, I'll stand at the back door and I'll have one of our church members go, man, great sermon, pastor. And then I'll see him on Facebook doing the exact same thing that I preached against, you know, that, that week. Don't tell me good sermon. Just, just apply it. Apply it to your life. That's what we want as elders. Let them lead the church. Um, it, by the way, this doesn't mean that you can never ask questions or get input. Just, just submit, though, in, in the way that God's leading the church. I, I'm grateful. Let me just close this part by saying this. I'm grateful um, because I, I, have, I have been at churches and, and even, well, uh, let me just say, I've been at churches because um, this is on live stream. I've been at churches where um, you have some money people and some board members who dictate what the pastor does. I've got friends who, who pastor churches who can't follow the Lord's leading for their life because they're in the pocket of some man or woman in the church. That's just tragic. That's just tragic. And uh, listen, when I was here, there were some people in, in, in the beginning that just didn't disagree with me in the way my, my position's on some things, and, and, and they left the church, and it hurt us in, in some ways. But I'm, I'm not here, just so you know, to get the applause of men I'm here to get the applause of God. I'm here to do what God says. And I can't please people and God at the same time, a lot of the times. So just so you know, I'm going with Jesus. <laughs> All right? And I hope you appreciate that. You're good people, right? Like, I know you want that. So, so we, have, we have people leave, and that's okay. That's all right. Um, we don't want that, but if that happens, so, so be it. Um, we got to follow what God wants for our life. So submission is the first mark of uh, a misfit. Now, secondly, is the mark of humility. The second part of verse 5 says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes, opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So there's two implications for this virtue of humility. All right, First, he says that we should show humility, all of us, including me, one towards another. All right? Um, Peter begins, now this is interesting, Peter begins by talking about being humble towards each other, and he uses the phrase, clothe yourself with humility. And just think, this is Peter, the apostle, writing. Surely he had in mind Jesus laying aside his outer garments 
and putting on the garment of a servant, that taking on this towel, girding it around his waist to wash his disciples' feet. That was the job of a lowly servant, not a religious leader. And Jesus, before his arrest, he teaches his disciples an invaluable lesson by taking on the garment of a servant and washing their feet. Surely Peter has this. I mean, Peter saw this, right? He was there. He witnessed this. And now he says, each of you clothe yourself with humility. In other words, serve one another. Love one another. Put others' preferences above your own. And you know what was so cool this week? To, to watch, I, I don't know, we must have had 40, 50 leaders here to make VBS happen. To watch you all work together. We, we did, I, I don't know that we had one single issue with our staff this week. I don't think we did. To watch you work together and nobody was vying for attention or to be in the spotlight. I just watched you help each other out. Just serve each other and serve the, 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 the 40 children who were, who were here. It was just amazing to watch. And I just thank you for applying this humility towards one another. Oh, ready, it's a beautiful thing. And then Peter goes on to say that we should humble ourselves not just towards each other, but also before the Lord. He says, God opposes the proud. This is a quote from Proverbs. James quotes the same verse. How many know the Lord hates pride? Oh, he hates pride. It was pride that was Lucifer's great sin. It was pride that caused Adam and Eve to desire to be like God and to take of the forbidden fruit. Resist pride with everything in you. See, pride says this, and this is what the culture is screaming. It says that life is about me. That's not what the Bible says. Life is about Jesus, not about you. Pride says, I'm the captain of my own ship. I think that was somewhere in one of Hemingway's poems, was it not? Don't be prideful. Pride says, I, I know how to run my life better than you, God. Pride questions the goodness of the Lord when you go through something. God, you, you just doubt your goodness because if you, you say, you think things like this. Well, if I were God, I would do it differently. That's pride. We need to run from it. Resist it with everything in you. So verse 6 says we need to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Look at it. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. You humble yourself, God will lift you up. That's the point. And then we have verse 7, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now, Greek scholars point out that verse 7 is not an independent statement. And a lot of people use it as that, right? That he's talking about humility and all of a sudden he just kind of has an ADD moment and he says, hey, cast all your cares upon him. He cares for you. But verse 7 is actually a subordinate clause. It is a continuing thought of verse 6. So here, here's what verse 7 does. It tells believers how we can humble ourselves before the Lord. Have you ever wondered that? Because we hear the command all the time, humble yourselves before the Lord. Have you ever thought about how this actually happens? Well, remember, 
the surrounding context in the verse is about persecution, right? About This is what Peter's been talking about, about Christian suffering. So these Christians are wondering why this is happening to them. Peter says, remember verses back, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you as if something weird or strange were happening to you, no? He says, it's not weird, it's not strange. This is a test. And so here, Peter says, humble yourselves by casting your cares upon him because he cares for you. Here's the point. When you are going through hardships and you are tempted to question God, Lord, why would you let this happen to me? And you start singing this kind of woe is me story and you don't understand. Here's what you do. Here's what humility is. It's not questioning God. It is trusting God even when you don't understand. It's truly believing that he works all things together for your good and for his glory. How many have ever been through something? And you really, I mean, I think we've all been here and you've questioned God, why would you allow this to happen to me? Like I have no idea what purpose this is serving in my life. I mean, I've gone through many things, right? I have no idea what the purpose is. But you know what I do know? I know I serve a faithful God, and I know I serve a God who uses every circumstance ultimately for my good and for His glory. So you want to humble yourself before the Lord in every situation. Trust Him. Cast your anxiety upon Him. Don't worry. Don't fret. Trust Him. For He cares for you. Amen? How many believe it? That's the point. The third mark of a misfit is the mark of vigilance. The mark of vigilance. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring, roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Friends, Scripture is clear. We have a real enemy, namely the devil. This is not fantasy this is real. He wants to, by the way, devour you, not just mess with you, not prank you. He, he wants to devour you like a roaring lion. Ultimately, he wants to make shipwreck of your faith. When the Lord allows us to go through persecution, understand, the people that are against you, that are hurting you, that are mocking you, they are not your enemy. They're just doing the bidding of your real enemy, your ultimate enemy, namely the devil. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is why we can love people when they persecute us. Because it's not them who is against us ultimately. It's the enemy. Right? It's the real enemy. So we can love people even when they persecute us. And so Peter tells us here that we're to be vigilant. We're to be watchful, alert. So there are many people in the world today who aren't vigilant. And this is scriptural. They, they're living now, the world is living now like they were in the days of Noah with no regard for God. That's the culture we live in, right? Just living life. As if nothing matters. Not so with us. We need to be mindful, alert. And we need to realize that we have a real enemy who is out to destroy us. Now, in the Christian world, when it comes to like 
the devil and kind of demonic forces and things, there are two camps, two extremes that a lot of people fall in. One, there are those who are not aware of the enemy at all and don't ever think about his tactics. That's dangerous. So they don't know how he works. They don't know about his deception. They're not prepared for when he attacks them. <coughs> excuse me. So Peter excuse me. Take a drink here. Peter says, be alert. Be ready for him. one hand but then on the other hand we have those who see a demon behind every bush the washer and dryer go break and it's like the demons of washers are plaguing me or whatever I cast you out demon of the dryer you know whatever it's just crazy right somebody gets your parking space and it's like it's the devil right what happens when you take somebody else's parking space is that the devil too when Duke beats UK, that's the devil. That one might be, actually be the devil, but uh, I'm just saying. Um, so, but, but, but all these things, I mean, we have, we have so many Christians who see the devil behind every bush. You, you know what I believe? I think that we, a lot of Christians believe in, in two gods. They believe the devil's a god and that God's a god. That's not scriptural. Okay, the devil is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at all times. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. And so when you give credit to the devil for every little thing that goes wrong, it's just not right. It's not biblical. I mean, listen, we live in a, in a fallen world. So indirectly, everything's the devil's fault, right? But directly, it's not so. So if you stub your toe, it's not the devil, devil the demon of a stubbed toe, all right? Come on, it's, it's you hit something with your toe. It's so weird, Right? And so we, we ha and then we have people who are conversing with the devil. This is a big thing now. And, and, and like they're, they're talking to him. Like, no, you need, to, you need to realize what you're doing. Adam and Eve had a conversation with the enemy, and that didn't turn out too well. So, no, you, you need to be alert, be mindful of his tactics, but you also need to be, Peter says, sober-minded. In other words, don't lose your mind over this. Think clearly. Don't see a devil behind every bush. Just, just think clearly. Sober and alert. Are you with me? Okay. A couple of you. Good. I just hurt some of your feelings because I know you think the devil took your parking space. <laughs> so um, we need this balance. So we know the enemy will twist the scriptures. That's how he works a lot. Right? That's what he did to Christ. He tried that on Jesus. Didn't work. Um, he'll try to get you to distrust God. That's one of the ways he works. Um, he, will, he will devour you with the deception, um, the deceptiveness of sin. He'll make you think a, a sin is no big deal, that you can do it and it not hurt you. You can play with it. And then you, you blink and your life's turned upside down. He wants you to be bitter towards God. And ultimately, he wants to make, again, shipwreck of your faith. So we're to be vigilant. And then, number four, we're to have also the mark of perseverance as misfits. Verse 9 says, talking about the devil, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So real followers of Jesus are marked by perseverance. Watch this. Nominal Christians will fall away when times get tough. You won't see them. 
Okay, they're, they're good, they're in the church, they say they love Jesus when all is well, but, but when persecution comes, you don't see them. They run from God. This is really clear in the parable of the sower. Jesus says this, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. This is someone who hears the gospel, responds to it with joy. But verse, the next verse says this, but since they have no root, in other words, the gospel hasn't really taken hold, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. You know the ultimate test of someone who is a real Christian? They believe till the end. That's a real follower of Jesus, someone who perseveres to the end. That's the final and ultimate test. So when the enemy is after you, one of the marks of a true believer is that he or she resists the devil and stands firm in his or her faith. It's the mark of perseverance. So this begs the question, how then do we resist him? And I don't have a lot of time to spend here. Let me just say, if you go back to Ephesians 6, you, you resist the devil, you know, you learn by putting on the whole armor of God and especially through these offensive weapons of prayer and the Word. I say it all the time, but we need to be a people of prayer. We need to be a people of the Word. All right? You remember Jesus when He was tempted by Satan. He used the Word of God to resist that temptation. We need to use that as well. Here's the great news. Uh, we don't have to defeat Satan. All right? We don't have to defeat Satan. We're not, we're not on some mission to take out the devil. Right? Some Christians think this. It's so weird. <laughs> Jesus is the one who is able to keep us from falling, right? Jesus Christ, watch this, has already defeated Satan. You don't, he doesn't need you to defeat him. He's already, Satan is already a defeated foe. That's why Jesus said, it is finished. All right? So we have to resist this already defeated foe, all right? And we do it through prayer and the Word, through coming together, through worshiping, through learning and, and continuing to press on together. We resist the enemy. Um, the, so the fourth mark is perseverance. And then finally, one more mark, very quickly, is the mark of hope, the mark of hope. This is, this is what's cool about being a misfit. You may feel a little bit different in this world, but you know what? You have hope that the world does not have. That's why you can have great joy on this road. Verse 10, after you've suffered a while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So believers can stand in adversity because we know that suffering does not have the final say. Who's grateful for that? Persecution doesn't have the final say. Amen? It will come to an end. And those who are faithful, those who persevere, will forever be with the Lord in eternal glory. I mean, this is wonderful news. So we can smile and we can have great joy no matter the circumstances. And I pray that by God's grace that these marks of misfits are on every one of your lives. I hope the people you work with, the people uh, in your family who are not Christians, I hope they can see that you have the mark of submission, the mark of humility, the mark of vigilance, the mark of perseverance, and the mark of hope on your lives. The more you're in the Word, the more you pray, the more you commune with the people of God, the stronger these marks are going to be in your life. Amen? Here's how I want to end this series. Um, we, we've got a special 
very quick kids presentation. They're going to sing one of their VBS songs for you in just a moment. So I, I'm, I'm not going to have an, um, where we have, we, actually we don't even have room for an altar today because we have these random toys up here for some reason. Um, but uh, but here, here's what we're going to do. Um, if you need prayer for anything, man, I would be so honored to pray with you after service. Um, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, oh, I pray today that you would repent of your sin, that you would turn to Him, that you would believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, that you would believe upon Him and allow Him to be Lord of your life. There's no sweeter way to live than to live life with Jesus. So if you have questions about how you can do that, man, I, I'd love to talk to you after service. But here's how I want to close. Um, Rick Warren, pastor out in California, uh, will often close a series with a certain declaration. And I, I kind of like that. We've, we've been studying what it looks like to be a misfit in this world for the past 19 weeks, all right? And so I want to close with a declaration. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to join me in just a moment with this declaration, but I want to read it to you first so that you know what you're saying. I don't want you just to blindly, mindlessly say these words, all right? Um, here, so here it is. As a real follower of Jesus... I joyfully embrace the biblical mandate to live as a misfit in the world. By the way, I finished this at 9 o'clock last night, so if you see an error, just go with it, all right? Give me grace. But, so here it is. As a real follower of Jesus, I'll joyfully embrace the biblical mandate to live as a misfit in this world. I will live my life in obedience to the Word of God, even when it is contrary to the secular culture that surrounds me. I commit to live my life in such a way where the people of the world constantly see the goodness of Jesus through my actions. When I am treated unjustly, I will not retaliate. I will love all people and serve them relentlessly so that they may see Christ through me. Life is not about me. It is about Jesus. I can have joy even in the midst of the most challenging seasons of the Christian life because God is with me. He is enough. Jesus is coming again, and this life is preparing me for the life to come. There is a heavenly inheritance awaiting me. I can't wait to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I may be a misfit in this world, but by the grace of God, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I am fit for heaven. I shall, be, I shall forever be with the Lord. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now who can say that with joy this morning? All right, stand with me, and that's how we're going to close this out before our kids sing us a little song here. Um, let's say it together. Here we go. As a real follower of Jesus, I joyfully embrace the biblical mandate to live as a misfit in this world. I will live my life in obedience to the Word of God, even when it is contrary to the secular culture that surrounds me. I commit to live my life in such a way where the people of the world constantly see the goodness of Jesus through my actions. When I am treated unjustly, I won't retaliate. I will love all people and serve them relentlessly so that they may see Christ through me. Life is not about me. It is about Jesus. I can have joy even in the midst of the most challenging seasons of the Christian life. Because God is with me. He is enough. Jesus is coming again, and this life is preparing me for the life to come. 
There is a heavenly inheritance awaiting me. I can't wait to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I may be a misfit in this world, but by the grace of God, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I am fit for heaven. I shall forever be with the Lord. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.